All right, everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. We've just stepped out of the theater and all my popcorn is gone, so it's time to review our latest film. Yes, this was off of the worst ever list, and it was called Spider Baby, or The Maddest Story Ever Told. It did star Lon Chaney Jr. as Bruno, <clears throat> Beverly Washburn as Elizabeth, Jill Banner as Virginia, Sid Haig as Ralph, Carol Omart as Emily, Quinn K. Redekin as Peter, Mary Mitchell as Anne, and Carl Shanzer, I really should have practiced that, <laughs> Schlocker. Um, it was directed and written by Jack Hill. Fun fact, Jack Hill has already been on our list as he wrote and directed the movie The Swinging Cheerleaders. Going into it, knowing this, we expected something a lot different than what we got. Yeah, yeah, different <laughs> than what we actually uh, just viewed, but uh, we'll get into that. So um, I did pick up a few little bits of trivia that I found interesting and some other stuff I'll probably pepper in when we're talking about the plot, but... Spider Baby was adapted as a stage musical in 2004. Um, it was thought to have been a lost movie back in the 1990s. However, they found a badly dubbed version on VHS. The director, Jack Hill, found the original negative and digitized it for a clean copy. He found it wasn't copyrighted, so he was able to market it on his own. He added a cut scene and promoted it as the director's cut. <laughs> Interesting. Lon Chaney Jr. sings the theme song, which is actually kind of a clever, fun, cartoony sort of theme song, which, again, contrasts with the plot a little bit. Yeah, it kind of made me remember when we were in drive-ins and you had the little um, food singing uh, during intermission. Kind of reminded me of that. Um, interesting. Definitely a must-see, we'll say. Yeah, it was, uh, at least the theme song was good. <laughs> um, Sid Haig says that Lon Chaney Jr. was intimidating to him because he's a seasoned veteran, having played the Wolfman and various other things in the Universal Monster sort of cycle of movies. Uh, so he kept calling him Mr. Chaney. So finally one day he said, I'm... Ch I'm Lon, you're, I'm Lon, you're Sid, let's leave it at that. And so evidently from that point on, everybody just liked <laughs> hanging out with Lon Chaney. Um, originally, this movie was shot with the name Cannibal Orgy, or the maddest, the maddest story ever told. Uh, the producers, the original producers, went bankrupt, so the opening date was delayed by three and a half years. So it just sat in limbo for that long. In December of 1967, David L. Hewitt purchased the rights and changed it to Spider Baby. And then the, during the summer of 1968, he released it to drive-ins as liver eaters. The movie actually had a $60,000 budget. Cheney was paid. This is the interesting stuff. I'm sorry. Cheney was paid $2,500 flat fee for his work on this movie. Oh, wow. That wouldn't have never have flown today. Uh, the other actors earned $100 a day for their work on this movie. Um, interestingly, 
the salary of the actors equals the daily rental of the Duesenbergs that Lon Chaney drives as the, as the chauffeur. Um, the movie, I don't know why this is listed and why I even wrote it down, but I'm going to say it since I did. Uh, similar elements, uh, the movie has similar elements to a later movie called House of Thousand Corpses that, uh, Rob Zombie? He remade it. That was, oh, his was okay. a remake. Um, so the original House of a Thousand Corpses and Sid Haig is also in that. That's the guy who played Ralph. Okay. So, all right. Jack Hill, um, Jack Hill was classmates and a school, uh, college school friend of Francis Ford Coppola at UCLA Film School. In fact, helped him, Francis Ford Coppola helped him edit his student film, uh, Wheeler Winston Dixon, who is a uh, prominent film critic, says that, uh, sorry, says that Jack Hill used film as a form of personal expression. All of his works were sufficiently successful while remaining true to his personal vision. They were all low budget. I mean, $60,000. That's only really sixty thousand dollars i mean I, I know that sounds really like a lot of money to us but as far as hollywood is concerned well, that's, true, you, true. you don't make i a mean movie it was a little that. bit more than that back then but yeah i mean that's still a pretty low budget film even even in that day right um originally jack hill was a music major and he played in the symphony orchestra that performed for soundtracks of for the soundtracks of dr Zhivago and the brothers Kar- karamazov um and Last fun fact before we get into it, uh, the Academy of the Academy Film Archive preserves Spider Baby in 2013. Huh. All right. Well, like we have been doing, I think we're going to go over the plot. Uh, in that, somewhat describe the characters. If there's something really needing to be said about the characters, we'll kind of get into that afterwards. But. For the last couple, at the very least, uh, plot's been kind of uh, pretty good about going over the overall film. So yeah. let's get it started. We start with the with a messenger with an envelope for the Mary family, and he drives to the town, drives through the neighborhood on his old school Goldwing. I don't know. It, it was a cart. Uh, he asked some kids who very low rent UPS. Very. Um, he has some kids who are fighting across the fence and their mom comes out and shoes them away like they can't be talking to him and says, we don't know what that's about. And even if we did, we don't have anything to do with it, which was weird. Then he finds an abandoned road, goes down there and finds the state that he's looking for. <clears throat> Drives down, knocks on the door. Nobody answers. He hollers a whole bunch. I'm telling you, this guy really needs to deliver this package because he didn't just leave it and walk away. And like I said, it could have been an important package, COD. I mean, the guy was good at his job. He cared. I mean, you know, you don't get that a lot nowadays. I guess not. But he finds an open window, hears a noise, and sticks his head through the open window because the screen's all torn out. Real go-getter. I mean, really. Um, the window closes on him, therefore pinning him in place. And a girl comes and throws a spider web over him. Uh, Kind of a net. Talks about, um, 
what the spiders do when they trap a bug in their net, which is then they sting him. And so she stabs him to death with knives. Yes. Okay. That's the opening scene. That's it. Then we go to Lon Chaney Jr., who plays a character named Bruno. He is a chauffeur for the Mary family. And kind of a guardian of sorts for these young children. Young kids, kind of. Young adult. Young adults. Uh, Teens? Something like that, yeah. Okay. I'll give you teens. So... Lon Chaney's driving back to his workplace, which is the Mary Estate. He pulls up and sees the gate's been opened and sees the guy's motorcycle thing. Gets worried, kind of chews on his cuticle a little bit and walks up. Um, Elizabeth, who is the older of the two girls, there are three children. There's one boy, two girls. There's Elizabeth is the oldest of the two girls. Virginia is the younger of the two girls. And then there's Ralph, who I don't know where he falls in as far as... And it's a blonde and a brunette, and Ralph looks slightly older than both of them. That's important for later. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. um, So Elizabeth is the blonde, just so that we have that image in our head, comes out and... Tells Bruno that he should hate Virginia. But Bruno says it's not nice to hate anybody. But then he walks up and um, he had just taken Ralph to the doctor. And so Virginia got excited because she was excited to see her brother. So they let him out of the car. And then he sees the body of this poor messenger still hanging out of the window. And Elizabeth repeats, you should hate Virginia. And Bruno says it's not very nice. And that he couldn't hate Virginia. So they talk for a little while. Ralph finds an envelope which states that uh, an attorney and two cousins of these children's father are coming to visit. Which means no good. No good can come from that. And it turns out that the date on the letter is... What day is it? It's It's today. (laughs) Of course. So we flash to the city cousins who are pulling up to the gate at this moment. Uh, Well, maybe not at this exact moment, but pretty soon after. Um, Peter and Emily. Uh, Emily is a blonde, snooty woman. And Peter's actually a pretty good guy. He, uh... Doesn't like the idea of what they're doing. He thinks it's not right. And so she goes up to the house by herself and Ralph surprises her and he looks like a monster and she runs away. Then the lawyer comes by way of a car hired, which Bruno drove. And the lawyer basically tells Bruno that he's going to be out of job. Uh, so there you go. That's the setup for all the craziness that ensues afterwards. There's something going on with the kids. They're developmentally behind for sure. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the film, uh, what's his name? The one you, the Ralph or the one you kind of like? Peter. 
Peter is looking at a book for infectious diseases, like the history or the dictionary of infectious diseases, and goes over the Mary family. Uh, There's a disease, the Mary family, that makes their mind, I believe, based off of what happens in the film, regress. So kind of the older they get, the more their mind regresses. So, which is really odd because then how did their mind get there in the first place? But okay, Um, so their mind regresses even to the point where it's before kind of they were born. And when that happens, they get savage and bloodthirsty and crazy-like. Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot about the framing device. I apologize. (laughs) That's actually kind of important. Yeah, so that's what's happening to the two girls and their older brother. Their older brother obviously is more digressed. He's kind of has the mind of a toddler. However, they're all not right. Um, The girls... Probably late teens, I would say, uh, in age, Uh, especially the older uh, daughter, probably about kind of 11-ish, 10-ish in their um, mentality. Roughly. Uh, One of them keeps saying, we should hate them, we should hate them, they're going to be, you know, so that's kind of what her deal is. And the other girl wants to play with bugs and spiders. and But they're all very homicidal. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so then the dinner. So the city cousins, uh, specifically Emily and their lawyer, Peter's just kind of seems to be along for the ride really i mean he engages with the kids he likes them he's one of the city cousins he is uh they're going to get money or whatever because their brother one of the country cousins passed away so they're basically going for the will to kind of get their inheritance and get a bunch of money they're in it for the money especially the woman as opposed to peter who's just kind of a nice guy yeah that's there yeah, I mean, he he seems genuine and friendly, and he engages with both girls and with Ralph. Um, just says, oh, he's just a big kid. He's just a big kid, Emily. I don't know why he freaked you out. Well, he's freaky. He He's like Uncle Fester if Uncle Fester wasn't so big. Like, it's, he's like teenage Uncle Fester. He's, he's like the Wonder Years Uncle Fester. Yeah, he's bald and he's got the the bags around his eyes and he walks hunched over and he doesn't speak, though. Uncle Fester does speak. But, I mean, he doesn't, he, he's regressed to beyond words. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't verbalize anymore. So, they have this dinner that Emily and the lawyer insist on having. And they also insist on spending the night, even though it's not their house yet. It's just not. And they bully their way in. So Bruno's like, well, we don't, we're not prepared to have guests. And nonsense, blah, blah, blah. So they throw some stuff together, like uh, mushroom souffle. And... 
Um, Ralph, Grilled cat. Yeah, I was like, Ralph uh, hunts a cat for... Uh, and, yeah, for, for the food and some kind of pudding-esque food with scorpions in it. Yeah. And, and then if you don't want to eat the meat, you can have salad that was especially picked for the dinner that basically looks like weeds. Yes, it was... Bruno explains that the conditions that the children have uh, progresses faster if they're meat eaters. So they're vegetarians. Um, everybody's like, oh, that's the thing that shoots it right over the edge of being utter- utterly ridiculous if they have anything wrong with them. Emily laughs that off like, whoa. But you can tell... Bruno knows what he's talking about. He spent a lot of time in service to their father who did a lot of research into what's going on with his kids. And what happened to, we find out later, what happened to his brother and his sister. Because his brother and his sister are living in the basement right now in that stage of being just utterly... Savage and homicidal. They're basically living in a pit in the basement. Yeah, Uncle Ned and Aunt Clara are in the basement. So, Anne, the lawyer's assistant, decides that she doesn't want to stay the night. Smart girl. So, Peter offers to drive her back to town. Um, They, uh, and this is after dinner. But actually, during dinner, they have a very funny conversation that I, um, Anne is a horror movie uh, buff. Yes. She talks about how much she likes Dracula and and the Frankenstein's monster and the mummy. And she loves how the mummy walks. Step, drag, step, drag. And she really likes the Wolfman. To which Lon Chaney and the guy playing the lawyer just look almost directly into the camera. And Lon Chaney says, there's a full moon tonight. Which... Was a nice little inside joke because Lon Chaney's big claim to fame is that he played the Wolfman in the Universal uh, film. Film. So, that being said, Peter and Ian go to town and have a little date. Right. They're basically going to go away for the night. You kind of think they're going to hook up or whatever. So, they're away from the house. So, then you just have the lawyer um, who... The movie was made after World War II, and the guy literally has a Hitler mustache. He does. So, yeah. So you immediately don't like this guy. He's kind of an idiot as well. Um, He's also four foot tall. Yeah, he's short. (laughs) Um, He's probably not a bad guy, but he's like one of those, we're going to get you and we're going to get everything we need out of this uh, contract. See? With his little Hitler mustache. And so, his cigar. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he decides to stay and the female uh, cousin named... Emily. Emily decides to stay. 
in this house that probably if you're looking around it should probably be condemned if you don't actually live there. Yeah, nonsense. It's it's plenty safe. Bruno tries to ward him off like some of the wood is rotten and I, seriously, like look around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Open your eyes. The house is crumbling. Like what kind of money do you think you're going to get from us? But anyway, so they start to uh, get their stuff together to spend the night. The lawyer starts to do some investigating around the house after everybody's kind of gone to bed, so to speak. Go ahead. And there's actually some good little creepy scenes, moments, when he's kind of walking around. There's a point where... The house has all this taxidermy animals mm-hmm. and everything. There's a point where he sees a hawk, or not, sorry, a hawk, an owl. He sees another owl that's actually alive and starts, or not speaking, but yeah, he, squawking he, he, to yeah. him. <laughs> um, some very good use of light and dark because this is a black and white film. Uh, then he goes downstairs. And into the basement and gets kind of caught by aunt and uncle. And then he sees the two girls at the top once again. A little bit of good imagery because they are in shadow. And then as he thinks he's basically trying to talk them into getting him out of here. Bully them into getting him Bully him. <laughs> yes, remember the Hitler mustache. Uh, bully them into getting him out. The light changes and they look crazed. One of them has her two knives that she likes to stab bugs with. As we all know, bugs are people. And they go and it is all they wrote literally for the lawyer. Yeah. That's pretty much exactly it. I do have to say at this point that it's not just the light play that makes it creepy. They did a really good job of scoring this movie. Like, it was, it looked like it was a B-rated movie, but I somebody spent some time to make the atmosphere of that entire sequence of the lawyer doing it snooping pretty creepy. And it was pretty creepy, but yet then they have this little funny moment of even while they're basically stabbing him to death and pulling him back into the basement, he is yelling at them about how... There's proper procedures for this, girls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. About how he's still going to do his lawyer stuff. So, yeah, it was was interesting scene, interesting scene. Well, so that's all they, they wrote for the lawyer. Um, the Emily. cousin then, Emily, is doing... Snooping through their closets, which is weird. And what she finds in them is... Lingerie. Weirder, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sincerely, like, Fredericks of Hollywood, lingerie. Um, a black bra and panty set with a garter belt and a matching robe. Just finds it in one of the closets in the derelict house. And she decides that she's going to, you know, put it on and model in front of the the mirror. Twisting and turning this way and that. And that's pretty much all she wrote. Then she goes to look out the window, only to find Ralph. Upside down, looking in the window. Like a bat. 
And um, side note on that, the way they accomplished that is they actually tied a rope to <laughs> Sid Haig's ankles and dangled him into that window. Hmm. Um, the the pressure of hanging upside down started building behind his eyes and Sid would freak out. So they had to film it very, very quickly because that was the only way they could accomplish that specific shot. Hmm. So, yeah, that was... Interesting, because it was a very quick shot, because she opened the window, he reaches in, says, and then she screams and runs away. So, I mean, it was very fast. It could have been more, but... Yeah, so she freaks out, runs out of the house, and then the three kids go after her. There's a little bit of stalking as eventually Ralph finds her, um, appears to start doing some maybe sexual things pretty sure he did yes and then but then the two girls come and they basically grab her and or no they leave her there and then they go back to the house and at that point bruno comes back bruno sees the lawyer's body and elizabeth says well she was he was gonna tell he was gonna tell on us And Bruno's like, yes, you're right. You're right. He was going to tell on us. And we actually have a genuinely kind of touching scene where Bruno figures out that the only way for him to keep the promise that he made to their father is to kill him. To kill everybody. Because he promised their father that they would not be made a public mockery for their condition. They would not be, like, test subjects. They would not be poked and prodded and paraded as freaks. And the only way to stop that, given that the country cousins, or the city cousins are there, is to kill everybody. And so he decides to go get a present for the kids. Uh, He leaves, and then... By hook or crook, the other two come back to the house. Yeah, Peter and Ian can't find vacancy at any of the motels within pretty much a fifty, uh, a 20-mile radius of the town. So they go back to the house because they have nowhere else to stay. And so they greet them because they see them pull up. Elizabeth and Victoria, Virginia, sorry, not Victoria, Virginia, Greet them in a very odd manner. They're holding their skirts up like, uh, well, Victorian women and say, hello, Uncle Peter, who pauses on the steps, looks at them funny and says, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, and continues to come up explaining that they couldn't find, they couldn't find a room and that Peter would be able to stay with the lawyer and Anne would be able to stay with Emily And we'll just get out of your hair as soon as possible in the morning and apologies, apologies. And they come in and Elizabeth says, oh, that's not necessary. And we'll go stay in father's bedroom, which we kind of skipped over this fact. Their father is much like Norman Bates's mother decaying in his bed. So (laughs) staying in father's bedroom is not exactly a um they're gonna kill her yeah i was trying to be facetious about it but yeah so elizabeth takes anne up to father's bedroom with ralph well ralph comes in afterwards and restrains anne they don't kill her right away 
They take her to the basement. And Virginia plays Spider with Uncle Peter. Well, and also, she comes back and she's like, Ralph. Like, she well, that's really... Emily. Oh, I didn't get to that part yet. Oh, I thought you were talking about Emily. I'm sorry. I apologize. Carry on. No, Anne. Anne is the assistant. Yes. The other blonde. <laughs> Not Victoria. Not Elizabeth. No, let's, exactly. So I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was. So um, Virginia is about to uh, sting Uncle Peter. They're at that point of playing spider. She has him tied to one of the rocking chairs, and the net is around him. And he, she starts seducing him very oddly. It and, was very strange. Yeah. 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 She's like. 16 in the movie, maybe? And he's like, uh, maybe this shouldn't be happening. We should play a different game. Because Peter actually is a good person. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, so Elizabeth kind of interrupts and gets Virginia to come with her to the basement silently. Peter doesn't see Elizabeth behind him. They go downstairs and Anne is struggling against Ralph holding her in place with his hand clamped over his mouth, over her mouth. And she's just a little person. And Sid Haig is actually a surprisingly tall fella because <laughs> he walked most of the movie hunched over. So it was really hard to kind of gauge how big he was. So Virginia gets the idea that when spiders want bugs to stop squiggling, they drain their vital juices and it makes them lethargic. So they're going to bleed Anne. They're going to cut her leg <laughs> off. And drain her vital juices so that she won't struggle and Ralph can play with her. Which we know what that means because it happened to Emily. They're going to kill her. Sort of. Well. Maybe. Yeah, kind of. So there's a cute little, and I hate saying it like this, but there's this cute little moment between the girls because Virginia was like, wasn't this your plan to Elizabeth? And she's like, yeah, but I didn't have enough time to finish it. (laughs) So like there was a, there's some humor actually peppered throughout the movie um, that I can't really get across. Like I, I genuinely had genuinely funny moments. They really wrote them in. They were really on purpose. They weren't funny because they were absurd. Um, So Bruno comes back, finds out what the girls are doing. Actually, now's the point before Bruno comes back. We do need to talk about Emily coming back because we skipped right over that. So Emily wakes up in the field. It was like, Ralph, just like Steve said earlier. (laughs) Like she really wants round two with Ralph, if you know what I mean. And she wanders back to the house and Ralph ignores Peter who's calling to her for help because he's tied to the chair and there are three tarantula spider things stalking him so that he, but she ignores him, goes to the basement, sees that Ralph has Anne held against him and freaks out and goes for his eyes. Now Bruno comes home. (laughs) And you come to find out he goes down. He sees everything that's going on, knowing that this can't get out. The gift that he has decided to give the girls and Ralph is a large bundle of dynamite. He's basically going to blow up the house. 
There's a kind of scene where the girls are trying to figure out what the gift is. Bruno is trying to be as polite as possible, saying he's basically doing this for her or for them. And it's because he basically loves them. And then Peter comes down, goes to grab um, Anne. Anne, and Bruno's like, get her out of the house, knowing that Peter's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bruno's like, get her out of the house. They get out of the house, and then everything goes up. Everything explodes. Bruno has been able to, in his mind, keep the children safe. Yes, it was a very sad ending for him, actually. But um, uh, before you think that Peter's not such a good guy by leaving his sister behind, his sister was already dead, fell into the pit with Uncle Ned. And so then we flash forward to the scene that we started with, with Peter reading the book, the Encyclopedia of Infectious Diseases, and he closes it, and, that, and the events of the film were about 10 years ago. He says that he got something good out of it, uh, that his family actually did have a lot of money, and basically being the only sole heir, he got it. He also got a wife out of it. Yeah, he married Anne. He married Anne, and they have a daughter. Well, that, and he's saying that this disease, the Mary family disease, ended with the people in the house because his side of the family does not have the disease. Well, spoiler alert, if we haven't been spoiling it, his (laughs) daughter comes to her mom and says, can I play outside? She goes outside. There's this, oh my gosh, that girl is creepy mm-hmm. film of the little girl going outside. And then she tries, she looks directly at the camera, climbs up kind of a little fence area, and then looks at a spider. And smiles. And smiles. And then you get the, the end? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. And that's the film. Yeah. It's... All right. So that all being said, and I know it was very confusing and kind of jumbled up. I didn't take very many notes on the plot because I was actually enjoying this movie. And the plot was relatively simple. I was just having a hard time, as I usually do, because I just watch a film. I don't take any notes. And there was a bunch of... People introduced. Um, However, uh, just like Ellen said, okay, it's on the bad movie list. I don't really understand why. There were some genuinely funny moments. The music was really evocative of what they were trying to get across. The acting was pretty good. The acting was pretty good for a B-movie. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't high art but you know they, they did pretty well and there were some genuinely creepy cinema um, cinematography yeah um, with uh, the lighting and you know like for example I said earlier about the girls in shadow and then they're being revealed and they look creepy and then they run I mean it wasn't to me I don't think it should have been on this list. No. 
I don't think so either. Again, not high art, but actually, strangely enough, I've seen a number of movies with Lon Chaney in them, and I never would have thought that he was actually that great of an actor. But he was pretty good in this. That speech that when he was talking about the toy, um, which is the dynamite that he's going to go get when he gets that idea, as he's telling the girls the story of what's happening, and, you know, but, but this toy is going to make everything everything better and he's crying and it's sad like the the scene is sad i mean i didn't tear up but i felt sad for yeah. you know it's it's his little family and the only in his mind anyway the only way that he's going to be able to save these three kids is to kill them and you can see when that realization happens to him and it's it's very well done I guess um, that's actually another thing. When when that speech was filmed, um, the crew was all crying, <laughs> and he got a standing ovation and couldn't leave the set for five minutes. Now, granted, most of the crew probably were standing already. Well, but but, <laughs> but the the tears of the girls on the screen was actually pretty. Maybe not acting the way that the the filming of the scene was described. So, like I said, I was pretty impressed with him. And not that he was bad in the other movies that I've seen him in. I mean, hell, he was not the worst part of that Frankenstein versus Dracula thing. He was actually probably one of the better of the the moments in that movie. But he's not the Academy Award winning actor that you would, you know. Correct. The girls did okay. Emily, um, or the girl who played Elizabeth, is somebody that Beverly Washburn, that I probably should know, her face looks familiar, but um, the girls I thought were pretty good, and they were creepy, and they were funny and charming when they needed to be, which is usually just with Bruno, though. They were right. creepy most of the time, unless it was with Bruno. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this is unfairly on this list. Yeah, I I actually enjoyed the film. So, um, the director Jack Hill typically does exploitation movies, which is probably why Emily spent a good portion of the movie in lingerie. In lingerie, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Emily's blouse got torn so that we could see her cleavage. Um, but which also is also kind of impressive because this is actually a fairly decent suspense movie i mean it's not it's not hitchcock but it was definitely an enjoyable afternoon yeah yeah it was not bad our other entry from jack hill was not that enjoyable so like i said when i told steve that this was written and directed by jack hill and it was the same guy who did the swinging cheerleaders i felt him die a little bit inside i (laughs) i could see it happening right before me but pleasantly surprised on both of our parts So, neither one of us really believe that this deserves to be on this list. It was, uh, especially given the the low budget it had, it was a definitely well put together movie. Yes. Um, Lon Chaney looked like he was dying through the whole thing, but that's because it was very hot. You could tell at the end of some of the scenes. Lon Chaney Jr. is not a little guy, and you could just tell there were some scenes where he was just pouring sweat. They left it in. Poor guy. Um, But other than that, I I don't have a whole lot more to say. So I'm going to ask it. So, Steve, do you hate me? 
No, actually, it was an enjoyable film. It isn't one of the best movies of all time, but it definitely is not one of the worst movies of all time, especially not in the top 50. And actually, really funny enough, this is probably the first one that you that we've watched, aside from Battlefield Earth, that you haven't just found boring. No, it was... It wasn't very long, so that's good. It did help, yeah. Um, and it it flowed, it went through, and there was kind of some good... Once again, though, I'm thinking it's going to be a super bad movie, so then when it wasn't, I think that also <laughs> kind of made me enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, because then I could kind of get into it and kind of see the things that were enjoyable to me, like... The music, the mm-hmm. cinematography, you know, so actually having a relatively fun movie was kind of a kicker for me. So it may, maybe it made me like the film more than I would if I just came upon it mm-hmm. and was like, hey, let's just watch this. That's true. And it's not even, like, forgettable. I like, this is a good movie. I mean, good. Not not great. Good. Though. But not bad. Yeah. Not horrible. Not worst 50 of all time. I think that, yeah, I think it's been done a pretty big disservice. Um, so we've already answered the, we don't think this deserves to be on the list. Neither one of us. All right. Well, that was our review of Three's Company, The Early Years. <laughs> so now that that's done, what do we got coming up? Well, our next good movie, sorry. Um, our next good movie is another Kubrick movie. I left this alone. Typically, if we do something that's related to uh, two, ro- uh, two picks in a row, we will throw it back in and repick. I left the Kubrick movie alone because I felt a little called out that I didn't like 2001. I felt a little dumb. That I didn't like 2001. But I have seen Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I have seen this and I do enjoy this movie. So I need to have that validation that I'm not dumb and that I don't stand against film as an institution in the art world by not liking this. And we'll see what I think. I haven't seen the movie, so... So Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, is number 39 on AFI's list. It was made in 1964, directed and written, at least in part, by Stanley Kubrick. The, the written part. He also had some co-writers. Our bad movie, that's coming up in two weeks from today is The Incredible Melting Man from 1977. And I have no idea, aside from what the name evokes. Well, we know that Star Wars had some great special effects, so I'm really looking that if this is a sci-fi movie, that it's going to look very modern. We'll see. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, that was, once again, our review of Three's Company the Early Years. If you like this review, if you want to see the movie, uh, that's great after you watch it. Or if you just have anything, go ahead and comment at the bottom, like, subscribe, and we will see you next time. As it looks like, they are lighting the lamps on Royville's streets. So, have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye.